Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Good morning. We want to prepare him room, don't we? Great to see you guys. It's Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, 2018. Did you think you'd live that long? Ah, it's great to see you guys. Um, I'm enjoying this Christmas. Um, I'm just uh, trying to keep it going slow. This season and summer season, I put on the brakes, and I just say, let's just slow down. What's the hurry? Let's enjoy it. And this series is really about us preparing room for him in our lives, but there's a line in Joy to the World that I want to focus on just like prepare him room is in the song Joy to the World. But it's the line, and wonders of his love. And wonders of his love. We're going to talk about the wonders of his love. By the way, uh, thank you so much for going crazy and spending all your money on the Christmas market the last two weekends. You guys raised $33,000 that is all going to missions. You know, if I was smart, I'd find someone that says, you know, whatever you raise, I'll match. You know, but maybe next year I'll find that person. (laughs) Let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you that we get to celebrate the birth of your son. And here we are, God, uh, some of us Christians that have been believers for a long, long time, and others of us just brand new, wide-eyed, Uh, discovering what you have for us. But God, we pray uh, that we, this morning, would all be wide-eyed, learning for the first time, as it were, what you have for us. And so speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. By the way, that is uh, something that one writer said, the way to live in wonder is to do everything as if it was the first or last time that you'll ever do it. Something to think about. So, the wonders of his love. Uh, Have you considered the wonders of God's love for you? Have you thought about how deep it is? Have you thought about uh, all the different ways that God loves you? There's a verse that we celebrate all the time, John three sixteen, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. And usually the way we translate that in modern culture is actually wrong. We say it this way, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. As if the passage is talking about quantity, which is good, I'll go with that. But the meaning of it is actually in such a way. For God so loved you in such a way, God so loved you in this way that he gave his only son. So as you think of Christmas, we're actually delving into a particular way that God loves me. He loved me so much that he gave me his son. So the word wonder and love actually go together. I was looking at all the times in, it's primarily in the Old Testament, but over a hundred times in the Bible, it speaks of God's love for you in a way that is conjuring up wonder. Over a hundred times, maybe 85 of those times are in the Old Testament, which is where I've found uh, the depth of God's love for me in poetry and the Psalms and all the way. One of them is that his love is as high as the heavens, which is saying beyond the atmosphere, as you're looking up into the galaxies, that's where you have to look to try to begin to grasp the greatness of God's love for you. Socrates said, wonder is the beginning of wisdom. So we never want to stop wondering. Emerson said, it is the mark of wisdom. But everything in our society wants to dumb things down. In science, there's a thing called positivism. And it existed for 100 years, maybe 200 years, where we actually thought we would one day comprehend everything. And we were positive. (laughs) 
that 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 we were just going to reduce creation down to where we can just talk about it and we sometimes actually still think that way but those of you that are scientists you know that the macro and the micro the more we know the less we know and and it just seems to keep going on and on and on Einstein said something regarding this. The poor PowerPoint person is realizing, oh my gosh, this guy is way, it's slide 10 PowerPoint person. I'm, I'm experiencing a jazz moment. Uh, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. He's talking about wonder. It is the source of all true art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. So here's the mega brain, Einstein, saying that science didn't cause him to stop wondering. Science caused him to wonder all the more. And you can go on and on. Elizabeth Browning said, Earth's crammed with heaven. So how do you live? What are the enemies of wonder? Well, I can tell you what they are in my life. Uh, the enemies of wonder is, number one, busyness. It just beats the heck out of wonder. Another thing that uh, beats it out is familiarity in common. I do it over and over and over and over, so it loses the wonder. I'm wondering about that amazing slide that's up there because <laughs> I took it out from this morning's version, but it's back. And, <laughs> and that's amazing because it's, it's appropriate, it's right. <laughs> Jan and I, when we, uh, we were celebrating our 20th anniversary 25 years ago, we were on the tip of Baja in an old hotel that I don't, last time I was there, it, it, it was just kind of an abandoned hotel. It was the original Cabo San Lucas Hotel. Uh, and... Um, we were sitting on the tip, and we just, we'd never done anything like this, just being poor pastor people. And, uh, and, and, and we toasted with our water glasses, and we said, look at the stars. Let's make a vow to each other to never lose the wonder. Because we've been around Christians that had lost the wonder. They, they walked around with God in their pocket. They wanted to, you, said, you want to see God? I figured him all out. And, and here he is. I figured out every Bible verse, and I know it all. And I've been around people that didn't know God, that walked around with life in their pocket. And that's the way it is. And, and, and one of the primary drives of that is control. We as humans, we want to control everything, and we desperately even want to control the things of God. And it just beats out the wonder. But here we are at Christmas time. For heaven's sakes, the incarnation? What? God incarnate? Carne? Asada? <laughs> you get it. God became flesh? What? Yeah. Blows the circuits. Wonder. Well, this morning, we're in a passage that it, we only get to study this every so many Christmases, uh, but it's in Matthew. Next week, we'll, we'll back around to the actual birth of Jesus at the end of Matthew 1, but we're jumping ahead into Matthew 2, where the Magi come, and let me introduce this passage with just reading verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east. Uh, they came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, or your translation may be like mine, in the east. 
I'll explain that in a moment, and have come to worship him. So many elements of wonder right here that I hope would begin to push back the parameters of control in our lives. The idea of the magi, the star, the gifts, this incarnate baby named Jesus. So who were the magi? This is fun. I mean, this is in scripture. By the way, those of you that have already, like I did before I became a believer, dismissed this passage as fantasy. Like, well, whatever, magi, star, we three kings, you know, I just dismissed it as fantasy. But I think C.S. Lewis, a converted atheist to believing an expert on mythology is right that there is nothing in the Gospels that have the elements of mythology. Uh, if, you, if you know mythology, uh, you know some of the elements. And, and Lewis and Tolkien were masters at it, uh, creating these myths and fantasies and mythology. But there's nothing in the Gospel. What you and I have to wrestle with is, did that really happen? And Matthew is giving you an account of what he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, believes really happened, and he wrote it down just the way he knew it. And so you and I, here we are with a, a literal account of what happened. So who were the magi? Well, as you probably guessed, the word magi is the word from which we get our word magic. And there actually is a little bit of overlap here. Herodotus, in 450 B.C., in the Greek world, writing about the Greco-Persian wars that have been going on, those of you that know your history, that's incredible, Iran battling with Greece for almost 100 years. He writes about the Magi. And they, at that time, were a priestly tribe within the subset of the Medes. Remember, they were the Medo-Persian people. So it would be like the Levites were a subset of Israel, a tribe within Israel. The Magi were a tribe, a priestly tribe, within the Medo-Persian people of Iran. But you also have Daniel mentioning this word three different times in the book of Daniel, chapters 1, 2, and 5. This is the Greek version of the, the Old Testament, which was translated around 200 B.C., uh, he calls the, why, the, the council of people that he's a part of uh, in Babylon as magi. So it was a word that kind of became the word uh, for the wise guys that, that gave advice to kings. And they used all kinds of uh, instruments of knowledge. So they used the stars. They, they read the stars. And, and by the way, they, they were not astrologers like you and I think of astrologers. Uh, they were uh, astrologers slash astronomer where they actually studied the stars like you watch TV. It was the only TV they had going. And any uh, aberration in the night sky, they noticed it. And they asked themselves, what's the significance of it? We've watched this for years and years and years. We've documented, we've chronicled, we have books and logging, everything that this universal clock is doing. And when something unusual happens, we have to ask ourselves, why? But they also had all of the ancient literature around them. So, uh, Books like Numbers, remember the Jews, were brought into captivity to Babylon. So they had the Hebrew scriptures. And so it could be that they actually look back to see what the star is uh, from the book of Numbers, where Balaam gives this incredible prophecy where he says, I, I see it, but not yet. Uh, it's coming, but not, not yet here, a star and he, and he speaks about this star as being the future royalty of Israel. So they would have had that particular verse. So these magi put it all together, and they decide in their council 
that this is God speaking to us that the new king of Israel has been born. Wow. So the Magi start out on this journey. Now, I'm going to give you a conjecture that is just purely conjecture. It's not scripture. It's not sacred. I'm not making a papal statement. So um, relax. But uh, it could be that the wise men were Zoroastrian in their religion. Uh, Zoroastrianism is, uh, was 2000 BC in its inception. So it's a very ancient, ancient religion. It, was a, it came out of Iran. Uh, it, it was a monotheistic religion, but believed that there was this dualism. Whereas we have Satan as a very small thing compared to God, they had evil as almost equal to God, but they knew one day God would win uh, through a savior. Isn't that interesting? It's very, very interesting. By the way, if you really want to go down that road, uh, there's debate. You know, it's it's assumed by moderners that uh, everyone was polytheistic and believed in all kinds of animism and crazy gods and then gradually worked our way to one god. And that's the story we usually get. But there's a few that believe it just actually went the reverse. That uh, early man believed in one god and then we went the other way and began to believe all kinds of crazy, crazy things. Sorry, I dig digress. And if you'll be here long, you'll notice I do that often. So the wise men, they get this caravan, and I want you to think about these guys. I, the reason I love this, by the way, this was a painting. Uh, uh, some of you are gonna wanna know the name of this guy. I actually wrote it down here somewhere. And we'll leave it at that. (laughs) James Tysett from Brooklyn Museum. You can go check him out, the Brooklyn Museum. I see my friend here from New York. So at any rate, I saw this. This is painted in 1890. And I said, this is the best one I've seen because usually you have these three guys and you hear the music, we three kings of Orient are, you know, and, and you think, how'd we get the idea that there were three? How'd we get the idea there were kings? Where, where'd this come from? Well, I'll talk about that in a moment, but what I like about this is it's look at the, the, the great number of people that are with the Magi if they were traveling from either Babylon or Iran, somewhere around Tehran, then you realize, oh my gosh, from Babylon straight across to Jerusalem is 1,600 miles, did you know? But they wouldn't cross the desert directly. They would go to the north to avoid the desert through the valleys and water where they could always uh, give water to their livestock and then come down. So add another thousand miles to that. So we're talking somewhere around 2,500 miles. That the, and then you, you divide that by 30 and say, well, they probably went 30 miles a day. And now you realize, whoa. They are on these camels a long, long time. So they're traveling and they're coming to see this Jesus. And what we are to see as we leave the Magi just for a moment, that this is God creating the first moment of missions. That Gentiles from 2,500 miles away are coming because not only the king of the Jews has been born, but their king. And that's the prophecy. You know, the Old Testament is one of the biggest missional books there is. It's, a, it's entirely a book about Israel becoming uh, kind of a, uh, an experiment that gets the law and gets the nature of God so that the whole world can know who this God is. And of course, Israel largely keeps God to herself, and so the consummate Israelite is born, who now will bring the goodness of God to the whole world. So you hear, you see the Gentiles now coming. 
And they say, when they get to Herod, we saw his star in the east. And the new NIV, translated in 2011, uh, translates it, when it rose. And it could be that that's the right translation. Uh, It's a Hebraism, and when you speak of the sun rising, there isn't in Hebrew that vocabulary. You say, why, we saw the sun rise. What you would say is, um, you would use the word east, in the, in the statement because that's what it means. Everything rises from the east. So it could be that they're not just talking about the fact that we were in the east and, and we came from the east, but rather there was a point in time when we saw the star rise. It wasn't in the sky before and now it's there. So here's the question, what was the star? And some of you already have your predetermined idea, but back away, stay in the land of wonder, Uh, back away uh, from our preconceived ideas. It could be that it was a comet. Some have suggested maybe it was Halley's Comet. And, And could be, by the way, interesting that we pronounce it with a long A when it's spelled with like a short A. Isn't that interesting? And by the way, the Brits would take issue with us of how we pronounce it in America. Uh, it would be Halley's, not Haley's. But here we are, right? So some people even spell it now without two L's. But if you back up the universe, which you can, the astronomers can, they can actually, it's because the universe is a clock that they can go back and see where Halley's Comet would have been around the time of Christ. Pretty cool, huh? And, but the, the closest it came was 11 BC. Darn. So it could have been another comet, but certainly not Halley's Comet. It could have been a conjunction. You'll know that a conjunction is just, uh, you see them all the time. If you have, I have a little little app that tells me, gives me an alert when there's different things happening in the star sky. And uh, a conjunction is where something like Mars and Venus overlap or Saturn and Jupiter overlap. And certainly they're billion miles apart or millions anyway. But to us, it becomes really bright because two planets are very much aligned. And it could have been that certainly uh, there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn uh, in 7 BC. And then finally, it could have been a nova or a supernova, the exploding star. There's in the Chinese records a nova that occurred in 4 to 5 BC and lasted for 70 days. Wow. So that's a naturalistic explanation. By the way, I I know this is probably way too much math and way too much astronomy and say, just let me out of here. Um, (laughs) I'll be done in a moment, okay? (laughs) But just one more bit of some of you are thinking, but this is all BC. It doesn't help me. This is really going to make you mad. <laughs> Jesus was probably born somewhere between 4 and 6 BC. Say what? <laughs> no, he was born at zero, right? Well, actually, the dating of Jesus' birth didn't actually happen for hundreds of years after he was born, and they just got it wrong. They just went backwards, tried to figure it out. Here's how we know that. Number one, Herod died in 4 BC, and Jesus is born when he's alive, right? So anyway, that's the best guess. So whatever was happening in the stars between 4 and 6 approximately BC may have been the naturalistic explanation for what the Magi are following. Notice the word I used, naturalistic explanation. There is another possibility, and that is God did something supernatural. 
So he just decides to put a star up there. I don't believe that there was a star uh, 20 feet in front of the camel's heads as, as some of the, uh, you know, they're following the star. And, you know, when you read the account in Matthew, it makes it sound like that because they find the star again when they leave Jerusalem and it, and it stops in Bethlehem. So it kind of looks like they're just following uh, this star. I think it's using navigational language. It's not saying that there's just this star just a few feet ahead of them. But beyond that, I don't know. And let me just push pause on your remote control for a moment. Say, are you okay with that? Is it, is it okay to say, you know, there's certain things I can control. And I, there's a lot of things, by the way, I don't know. A lot. But what I do know, what I do know causes me to wonder more, not less. Right? So we have the Magi, we have the star, and they worship. It says here in the text, in verse 2, that we have come uh, to worship him. And this word is going to occur in this passage three different times, and it's intentional. The word worship in the Greek is proskuneo. Pros means towards. Kineo means to bow down or to fall down towards. And it was, a, it was something that was used uh, to, use, to worship before kings. You would prostrate yourself, but then certainly before God. And so they used this very, very strong word, which is unusual for a Jew. Because you have stories like Esther, where in, in, in that part of the world, in Persia, she refused to bow down. Um, excuse me, Mordecai, her uncle, refused to bow down to Haman. They, you know, for a Jew to bow down to anybody but God is something you just do not do. So Matthew, being a Jew, doesn't easily use this word. I like the old English origin of our word worship, which is worth Skype. We worshiped this morning. We actually worshiped in four different songs. Have you ever thought about what worship is? Worship is declaring worth, worth Skype. When we worship, we worship. We are declaring worth. When you go shopping, you are worshiping. You'll say that you'll look at something. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And then you find something. You say, "Oh my gosh, that's totally worth it." And so, in a kind of crass way, we worship. But when we come to God, we we realize we are way in over our heads. <laughs> we are penguins on an iceberg. This this is God. And so we worship. And I bring that out because we have become, not you, but someone in America has become very selfish in our worship. And our worship goes a little bit like this. I don't know the song. Do you know the song? I don't think I like it. Do you like it? Guitars are too loud. Drums are too soft. Do you like it? No, I don't like it. And, and it... That's not you, but it's somebody. <laughs> Worship is me getting out of the selfie. <laughs> you know, big head, little tiny elf, Eiffel Tower. You know, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's me getting out of the picture, and it's all God. I was uh, in a moment, and this is my bad, I was at my own baccalaureate for uh, grad school, and uh, they had these, this Baroque string group playing, and uh, I love Baroque music, but I didn't know any of the songs. And I was trying to concentrate on the songs, and, and I, just, I was getting frustrated. And I just, this is not how I imagined a religious service being for my three years of grad school. And in my frustration, I heard the voice inside me say, I'm here. 
It was, you can worship if you want. I'm here in this Baroque music. I'm here. And I, and I just shut my eyes and I dove in. And I realized I can worship high church, low church. I, you know, if, if I go to an Anglican church, I love it. I'm, I'm there with the Book of Common Prayer and the hymnal, and I'm watching everybody else because it's kind of stand up, sit down, fight, 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 you know, and just. Uh, <laughs> and I can worship there. And when I go forward uh, to take the Eucharist, and I dare not look at the cross because I'll cry. And I know that because of all the times I've worshiped in a high church. But I can worship in what's often called a low church or free church like ours. And, and even in a church that's super Pentecostal, I can worship any stripe and color because I'm here. All of that's culture. I'm here. And when you realize God's there, what do we do? It's, it's a time of worship and wonder where he increases and I decrease. As a boy, uh, not quite a believer yet, for 10 years, I remember a Christmas where I looked out my bedroom window that faced to the east and I saw this bright star. And I knew nothing about Venus. <laughs> and I remember running into my parents' room and I said, I don't know, I think it might be the Christmas star. But I, I remember that feeling of wonder, like how can a star get that big? Um, have you lost the wonder? The wonder of Christmas? Contrary to wonder, we have this character named Herod. And it says in verse three, when Herod, King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. So instead of worshiping, He's disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ is to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. And they quote from Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out, this is, by the way, classic control freak. Uh, call them secretly, don't let those people hear what you're, these people are hearing so that you control the audiences. So he didn't want his religious leaders to hear what he was privately saying to the Magi. Found out from them the exact time of the star when it appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Part of this passage, if we had time, you'll you realize that God warns the Magi not to go back to Jerusalem. They go home another way. By the way, James Taylor wrote, wrote a great song to that, um, go home another way. And, and Joseph and Mary are warned, and they go down to Egypt. Herod goes down and he kills all the babies two years and under, all the toddlers. And if you ask why, I believe that when he asked the Magi, when did you first see the star, they probably told him two years ago. So he kills all the babies two years and under. So who is this Herod? He is Scrooge. He, he is the Grinch above all Grinches. He is this guy that is wonderless. There is no wonder in him. He's all about control. He's all about shrinking it down into his narcissistic world. And he only appears to be a person of wonder when he says that I too may worship but he's certainly disturbed by what he see, hears. Um, it's, it's, it's always interesting for me to watch someone when we hear something that's contrary to what we've known or heard before. What is your instant reaction? You know, think about it. I'm gonna just play with you a little bit. Think about the things that you hear scientifically that con 
are contrary to what you've heard or thought. Think about the things, this is really going to upset you, the things that you hear politically that are contrary to your presuppositions of the way it has to be. Okay, I won't do that ever again. (laughs) You know, do you step back and say, wow, well, maybe, maybe this is a different perspective. Maybe this is an opportunity to grow and learn Maybe God might be teaching me, or is it no, it can't be, la, 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 I can't hear you. So Herod was this extreme person that had to control everything because it was all about him and the safety of his little world. I want to read to you this quote from Michael Wilding, the uh, deceased actor who you know, um, is very interesting actor, married to uh, Elizabeth Taylor with several other wives. But uh, he, he had some interesting say, things to say about actors. And if you're an actor, please don't be upset with me. Uh, I could pick a politician. I could pick a Christian in North Coast Calvary, whatever. It just happens to be an actor here. But he was asked if there is any trait that sets actors apart. And his answer was, without a doubt, You can pick out actors by the glazed look that comes into their eyes when the conversation wanders away from themselves. (laughs) So that would be Herod. He's secretly dishonest. And here, I want to just take a couple moments to talk about yours and my pursuit of God. We want to be absolutely honest about our pursuit of him. A dishonest pursuit of God, be it a Christian or or someone who hasn't yet believed, already has prepackaged God's haircut. He has to be this way. I've already predecided it. And my pursuit of him is the pursuit of my image that's in me, the God construct inside of me rather than letting scripture and the Holy Spirit and God's people push back the boundaries of where I've captured God into. So if we're honest in our search for God, we recognize that uh, he's different than me. He's different than our my desires. He's different than my all my preconceptions. And he's probably going to be way bigger than who I thought. Winston Churchill said this, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. But the truth hits us right between the eyes. When I first considered Jesus, I mean truly, honestly, it was December 21st, we're almost there this year, uh, 2 a.m. in my bedroom, and I said, okay, all bets are off. If you're God, I give my life to you. And it seems to have worked for 45 years anyway. Whoever you are, I had preconceived the fact that he must be just a good teacher. That's it, he's just a good teacher and we embellished all these things. I was kind of a little bit like Thomas Jefferson in that regard, just a good moral teacher. Or maybe he had a little bit of wizardry and he did a little bit of good miracles and did these crazy things, but couldn't be God incarnate. But that night started a journey for me that led me to the reality two weeks later that he was actually God. And I too worshiped him. So the honest search stares at truth face to face. No games. The Jewish Talmud once wrote, we do not see things as they are. We see them as we are. 
meaning we're always trying to make God in our image. So now we come to the latter part of this message, which is the fact that they come to Jesus and they worship. Are you still there? Okay, verse nine. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them. This is the language I was speaking of until it stopped over the place. I believe this is some kind of navigational language uh, where the child was, where they realized, okay, we are in the right vicinity. Now we just have to look for someone who just had a baby. You know, we're just looking for someone uh, who has a toddler, two years and under. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On the coming to the house, notice the word house, so they're not in a stable, they're not with the livestock, they're at a house because Jesus would not have been born the same night that the shepherds showed up. And I know that's probably upsetting to some of you. Um, It's just a great way to celebrate Christmas where everybody's there, you know, the the family's all there. But it was probably spread out uh, at different events. Jesus perhaps being three months old up to two years at the time, and many of the great artists of the Renaissance depicted Jesus as being someone that's sitting on Mary's uh, lap, not um, laying in a manger when the, the, the wise men show up. And they bow down and they proskuneo, they worship him. And then they opened their treasures and they presented him with these gifts of wonder, uh, gold, incense, myrrh, and having been warned in a dream, this is wonder-filled, uh, did not go back to Herod. They returned to their country by another route. So what is the meaning of these gifts? The meaning of these gifts could be simply these are the kind of gifts that uh, you would bring a king. Gold, incense, and myrrh. Uh, the queen of Sheba, when she visited Solomon, she brought gold and spices as a gift for the king, but it could be that church history is right that the meaning of these three gifts are gold, the king, uh, incense, the priest, Jesus, who is the priest that intercedes for you and me, and the sacrificial savior, myrrh being a burial spice. And uh, so, by the way, someone brought last Christmas uh, a jar of myrrh and if you have ever smelled condensed myrrh, woo, uh, it, it is not uh, Ode Beautiful. It is, uh, it is very, very, very intense uh, from uh, a plant in India. So at any rate, they worship. And they give it all. They bow down and declare his worth. And this becomes the picture for you and me this Christmas. My challenge to you this Christmas is to give it all. Is to back up and say, well, what is he worth? And, and all you have to do is say, wow. Incarnation, God crossing the infinite gap from heaven to earth, uh, from eternity to, to finitude, and from Uh, spirit to flesh motivated by love then the cross sacrificial life for you motivated by love raised from the dead motivated by love what's he worth and you and I bow down and we give him the gift of our lives so the magi go home But here's the question. Did they check the box? Did they check the box? Well, we did that. Now we need to just go home. No. I think they left in wonder. There is nothing in Christianity, nothing in Christianity, there is nothing in Christianity that you and I just checked the box. We just went to church just went to church and what was that what we worshiped the eternal great infinite God who loves us 
You know, you never just go to church. We just read our Bible. No, you never just read the Bible. You never just any, I just gave my life to Christ. You just gave, you checked the box. No, everything is a step into the painting. It's you and I not looking at the painting, objectifying God. It's you and I stepping into the painting of wonder. <laughs> and that's where you and I live, in this place of wonder. What is, what is heaven like? What will happen in heaven? I suggest to you that in heaven, it just keeps getting better and better and better. I'm thinking... That it's not just that uh, we see better sunsets and it's not just that we see uh, leaves that are structured and flowers that are painted in ways that we've never seen before, but we are deeper into philosophical things that you and I appreciate smallly right now, like freedom. I don't think if you're a Christian or American, you even know what freedom is till you stand in the presence of God. You don't even know what justice is until you stand in the presence. All of these things that we value so much, folks, we've only just begun. Isn't that good news? When we read about when we get to heaven, we will know as we are known. It's not Western knowledge he's talking about here. Right? Wow, I'm suddenly an encyclopedia. I know everything. He's not seeing that it's this interpersonal knowing that we step into that is all filled with wonder. So in heaven, wonder grows. When I was first a Christian, I went off to discover what it was to be a Christian, transferred my sophomore year into a Christian college and I started believe it or not as a music major until I found out how hard that major is you know so if you're a music major you're amazing um, but I was interviewing with my professor who was a Christian Christian school and I was just wide-eyed about everything and he said at the end of the interview by the way are you a new Christian Yeah. You know what he said? I thought so. And by the love of God, I wanted to kick his teeth in. You know, but I just thought, what is that supposed to mean? That after I've walked with Jesus for a, a hundred years, I look like I've been baptized in lemon juice? That that somehow, once you know all this stuff, it just squeezes the wonder out of it? Can that be? That the more we know Jesus, the less wonder-filled we are. Contrary, I told him, when I opened my heart to Christ and worshiped him, the whole world popped for me. <laughs> From two-dimensional to three-dimensional, and I don't want it to end. So I believe we will forever and increasingly be filled with wonder at God's creative genius, at his beauty, at his elegant organizational skills. That's for some of you out there. Um, for his attention to detail, for his infinite power, for his ability to be everywhere at once. But most of all, and forever, we will be in awe of his love. Amen. And so this morning, if you ask me, why does he love you? Beats me. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, conceptually, he is love. Yes, I understand, he paid the price. All of these things, but they don't shrink him down. They make it even bigger. I don't know. And that's where we'll stay, I think, forever. Wondering and wondering and wondering. 
at the love of God. There's a story in the Bible that I want it to be you. It's near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry where he's sitting around the table with these dignitaries and disciples and they're having this conversation and maybe it's light, maybe it's deep, we don't know what's going on. And into the room bursts Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. And she has this myrrh that she actually pours on Jesus. She actually fills the whole room with this pungent odor, and she pours it on his head, his feet, and she begins to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. Proskuneo. She's worshiping him. There's a different Herod in the room. His name is Judas. He's lost the wonder. He says, oh, this could have been used for the poor. What a waste of money, and so forth. But I'm asking you, who had the true picture of Jesus? If you're with Jesus, you just don't discuss. If you're with Jesus, you just don't eat. And certainly if you're with Jesus, you just don't think that it's a strategy meeting for the poor. There's something else bigger going on. Love himself has come down. And so she worships. So I invite you this Christmas to join Mary. Silly Mary. Let the Christmas lights be symbols of wonder. Let the feasting be symbols of wonder. Let the friendship be symbols of wonder. And especially the Christmas story be something that takes you into the wonder of knowing more profoundly his love for you and me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this day for your great love. Thank you, Lord, for the resurrection, for the cross, and this morning for your birth. And God, we pray that all of us here this morning would be given by you the gift of longing, the gift of wonder. Forgive us for aligning with Herod at times of just being so controlling and thinking that we can figure everything out. God, we realize that everything we know points to what we don't know. Lord, may us, may we be jolly beggars that just come to you with nothing in our pockets, so undeserving of your love and so amazed that you would love us. We are struck with the wonder of your love. Will you stand with me? Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.